Your Money, Your Wealth listeners, let's get you on the show. Call 888-994-6257 for your chance to have Joe and Big Al answer your burning money questions live during Your Money, Your Wealth. Whether it's about retirement, investing, Social Security, taxes, or preparing your portfolio for the inevitable market volatility, there's a pretty good chance these fellas can give you the insight that will help you make better money moves. That number again is 888-994-6257. 888-994-6257 for your chance to have your question answered live on Your Money, Your Wealth. Risk starts to show up, markets crash, and these investors have to then panic and sell and that exacerbates the fall, markets go down, and the next group of investors hit what I call their GMO point when their stomach screams, get me out, and they panic and sell. And that's how you get crashes. That's Larry Swedro, director of research for the BAM Alliance and writer at ETF.com. So what happened to the market correction? What happens next? And how can you avoid hitting your GMO point? Stick around as Larry gazes into his crystal ball. Plus, five questions to ask your estate planner about everyone's least favorite topic after the new tax law. And what happens to your social media estate after you die? Who will manage all of those videos of Joe playing golf on Instagram? With answers to these questions and more, here are Joe Anderson, CFP, and Big Al Clopine, CPA. Alan, another day, another week. How you doing? I'm doing great. And as always, Joe, it's... Uh... I mean, we never we we do these shows and we have lots of things planned, but we kind of do them free form. I, I get asked a lot, do you kind of plan all this stuff? No, out? you don't. They're like, this is a total sham. <laughs> no, I do get asked that. Uh, they already know my answer. It's, it's like, no, we just uh, we come up with some articles. We kind of ad lib. You and I are not script people, are we? I mean, if if we had to read a script, That'd or when we do our television show, if we had to read a teleprompter, there's no way we would look. Retarded. So we yeah we do we do um, uh, guests and I'll get this long bio yeah and I'll try to read the bio how <laughs> awful is that I can't even read a bio well I will say you're better than you used to be <laughs> <laughs> oh that was just awful. We've got a whole bunch of valuable estate planning information available at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, including new blog posts on the deductibility of estate planning, incorporating life insurance into your estate plan, and whether you need a trust and a will. But on a basic level, making sure family records are current and easily accessible when a family member dies or becomes disabled is especially important. Make sure you're ready before you need it. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our free estate plan organizer. It's designed to ensure that all of your assets are accounted for and that all of your desires are carried out upon your departure. Find all the relevant information, fill out the forms completely, keep them up to date, and store You can only deduct 10000 of that. So what they're thinking about doing is what if uh, by December you could say, you know what, state of California, you're a nonprofit. I'm just going to give you a donation for $25,000, and why don't you then call that good for my taxes. And that, they actually are working on that right now. There's uh, uh, several states are, Joe. And I, and I think the problem, of course, is the feds are probably not going to go along with this. And I, I, I'm not too optimistic this will happen. But just so you know, if, it's, if you can deduct your state taxes as a charitable deduction, then they're fully deductible on your federal return. So it would get around this rule of only deducting ten grand. So, yeah, stay tuned. We'll see what happens because, uh, you know, I was listening to this podcast and there was a CPA and he was talking about the new tax law. And he's from 
um, Georgia, okay. I believe, or um, the South. And he's like, well, you know, one of the things that they cleaned up with the tax code is this loophole of, you know, people writing off their state income taxes. <laughs> right. And if you're in a low tax state, that's what you would call it. And I'm like a loophole. It's a loophole. <laughs> How is that a loophole? Right. Is that, I mean, I've... Well, I, I actually talked to somebody from, I think he's from Indiana, and he's now a California resident, and he said, you know what, I'm okay with this. I, I feel like I, I feel like we, the rest of the country, have been subsidizing the, the, the West and East Coast high-tax states for years. It's about time we, they don't have that tax deduction. They pay more of their fair share of federal tax. That's, that, I mean, and he was a California resident. So I, I, I guess, I guess it all depends upon where you're from and your perspective. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose. <laughs> so a loophole, huh? Yeah, it's subsidizing. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, to each their own. A couple of things that um, also I found interesting this week, Alan. Yes. Is that did you know that you need an estate plan now for your digital assets? I I uh, have heard that. I don't quite know what that means. Are you going to educate us? No, not really. I thought you would. <laughs> I was just going to read the title of it. But no, like so. What I, I I'm not a big social media person. You don't you don't have a Facebook page. You have a LinkedIn page. I do have a that's LinkedIn a, page. That's a digital asset. I and guess. If I die, do you think I care <laughs> about what's good? If but, people are still going to be you know wanting to link in with me? Well, you never know. <laughs> I don't think <laughs> Maybe so. There's... But I, I guess I guess what they're talking about is um, is I don't know. Maybe you're maybe you're a sole proprietorship and you have a business that uses a lot of digital marketing and you pass away. Well, those 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 assets are are potentially worth something. And... Well, here's a here's the article. It's um, what will happen to your Facebook account when you die? What about all your photos shared on social media? Your texts with loved ones? Or documents of cloud storage. Okay, well, I can see that. In just a two-year period from 2012 to 2014, humans produced more data than in any human civilization before that, and the pace is only accelerating. Right. So... How does that fit into an estate plan, though? Does it say? Can I... Did you with the, the document, please, sir? <laughs> I can't wait. I'm, I'm just... At the edge of my seat. The law is very clear about handling paper documents, Alan. Yes. In other physical property when someone dies. Okay. So your home, your brokerage account, your retirement accounts, life insurance, right? You have a beneficiary designation yes. or the titling of all of this. Um, but a law professor at Drake Law School who has been studying property transfers for years, he goes, I've seen that laws, uh, regulations, and court rulings are only recently trying to figure out how to handle the ever-changing realm of digital technology. So far, in most cases, the information is controlled by the companies that store it, regardless of what users want or direct to what happens to them uh, when they die. So <clears throat> I know when I drafted my estate plan, um, there's language in my estate plan, uh, and it's a, it actually a separate document that talks about my digital assets. There is. Yeah. Do you have one? I don't know. I have to check. So, you know, because I think there's the privacy and everything yeah, else, I guess. True. I don't know. Well, yeah. Like, let's say, let's say your money, your wealth goes national, and so now you're a national figure. So then I guess people could, maybe they make money off of your digital assets. So you want to protect that. Is that is that what that's getting at? Yeah. You know, um, so the law is catching up. 
it's looking at, all right, well, here, there's different documents that you can now have in your overall estate plan to protect your privacy. Um, okay. But then you have to, like, give direction, you know, to certain individuals, so, such as your successor trustees. So the, 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 the yes. Things like that, right. passwords and how to get into it and how Got to it. either delete it or to take it off, download it, and, and things like that. Got it. Uh, because I mean, with all the data that's out there, I think you know you, you forget about it. It's like, all right, I have a home, you know, um, so I want to make sure that that goes to whoever in my beneficiary designations. But the last thing I'm thinking about is my Instagram account, <laughs> which right? you, which you don't have. Yeah, I do have an Instagram oh, account. If oh, you, you want to see me play golf, you just watch Instagram. <laughs> I got that's all my posts. I see you play golf on uh, Facebook when Robert Rogers posts. Oh, see, I don't have Facebook, yeah. so I don't, I don't know. And, and you have no control over what he posts. <laughs> no, I know. I hopefully it's not bad. It's pretty interesting. Oh, whatever. He, he'll, he'll, he'll do like slow motion of your swing sometimes. Oh, well, it's really he's he's practicing, Alan. He needs to get that in slow mo so he can try to copy it when he gets back home. I suppose. We've got a whole bunch of valuable estate planning information available at yourmoneyyourwealth.com, including new blog posts on the deductibility of estate planning, incorporating life insurance into your estate plan, and whether you need a trust and a will. But on a basic level, making sure family records are current and easily accessible when a family member dies or becomes disabled is especially important. Make sure you're ready before you need it. Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com and download our free estate plan organizer. It's designed to ensure that all of your assets are accounted for and that all of your desires are carried out upon your departure. Find all the relevant information, fill out the forms completely, keep them up to date, and store them in a safe, easily accessible place for your heirs. You can even include all your social media information and instructions right there on page 32. To get your free estate plan organizer, just visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Hey, welcome back to the show. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. Joe Anderson here, certified financial planner. I'm with uh, my good friend Larry Swedro. Larry's been on the show many, many times for the last several years. Uh, Larry, this is a really good time to have you on. What happened to this correction that uh, supposedly happened, but now almost it's erased? Well, I, I think the best perspective I can provide, Joe, is to look back at what caused the cor- uh, the correction that occurred. I love that term, by the way, correction, meaning assuming that the market price was wrong. Uh, I don't know why that people believe that. There could certainly be new information that comes out that could cause prices to drop. So the first price was right. Prices then react to the new information. Obviously, it would be bad news, and then the price would be correct again. Uh, if there was a correction, it would be easy to identify, and we'd see active managers obviously outperforming, selling ahead of the correction. But we have no evidence of that. So, uh, But if you go back to just two weeks ago and look at the economic news that had occurred building up to that, I can't find any economic news, really, that would cause anyone to have a concern about a oncoming recession or anything else that would be a reason for stock prices to, quote, correct. In fact, if we look around the globe, we not only see U.S. economic growth not only strong but accelerating. Corporate earnings are accelerating thanks to the tax cut. And the same things are happening throughout the rest of the developed world. France just set a 10-year low 
in their unemployment rate. Uh, most of the developed world is improving, and you're, we're seeing that in stock returns around the, the globe as well. So there really was no economic news. It doesn't mean, of course, stock prices can't go down without any news. It's just a lot of noise in the data. It was all good news, though, it seemed like, right? But it was is it the fear of inflation or was it, you know, the, the, the traders that were trading on the VIX? I mean, that, I've heard so many different things. Of things, uh, Joe. I wrote a blog for my column at ETF.com, uh, which your readers can find. If they go to the website, uh, there's an ETF news and strategy uh, in the toolbar. And right below that, it says Index Investor Corner. Uh, and I wrote a blog called Drivers Behind the Dip. And I speculate, of course, nobody knows with 100% certainty uh, what causes it. But we know it wasn't uh, corporate earnings, which is the numerator in any valuation. The denominator is the discount rate, the rate at which we discount the future earnings to give us a present value. So clearly something was happening to drive the discount rate or what people might call uh, the risk premium for equities. Uh, And so you have to look at other sources other than corporate earnings or geopolitical risk because it certainly isn't there uh, in any of the data. Uh, I think what happened to some degree is a function of a whole bunch of little things that happen. So you have a lot of people uh, betting on low volatility strategies. So, for example, you sell volatility insurance. So you sell, uh, uh, most people are selling, uh, or sorry, are buying the VIX, which gives them protection against bear markets. So you're, you're assuming volatility uh, is going to rise, so you buy an option. A volatility jumps up. The volatility had been, say, 12, and the VIX futures might have been 15, and then volatility jumps to 40. Well, volatility usually spikes when you get a bear market because something bad happens and prices crash. You usually don't get a crash up in stock prices, right? You don't get bad news. I mean, good news us all of a sudden there's breaking out. It happens over time where markets tend to crash more quickly. Uh, so you got those people and the markets are crashing and now they're all getting hurt and they have to sell positions to protect themselves and markets then go lower and volatility spikes and they have to hedge more and all these funds that were positioned in that way uh, got hammered. One of them lost like 95% in a week. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that's a problem. And then the second thing I think happened to contribute to this is out of what I think was a major mistake that people happened to get lucky on and did well. For the last eight years, the Federal Reserve's very low interest rate uh, policies uh, led lots of people, particularly those who focus on a cash flow approach to investing, so they need yield. Uh, and the yields weren't there. They couldn't live on the interest from their bank accounts uh, or bonds. So they went out and bought riskier assets, such as dividend-paying stocks or higher dividend-paying stocks, MLPs, REITs, things like that. Uh, And they got lucky. There was no risk. We didn't have a recession. And they got better returns. But they clearly were taking more risk than their stomachs 
uh, desired because they would have been there in the first place. But we had massive flows into these strategies uh, to try and boost yield, forgetting that it came with risk. And then the risk starts to show up, markets crash, and these investors have to then panic and sell, and that exacerbates the fall. Markets go down, and the next group of investors hit what I call their GMO point when their stomach screams, get me out, and they panic and sell. Uh, And so the market goes lower, and this thing crashes. That's how you get crashes because you got all the technical traders uh, going. And then, added to that, right before this, we had a record uh, in margin accounts, because people thought it was safe after eight years of good markets. We had about $600 billion in short positions. And then, when prices fall, you get margins calls, and most people can't meet that call, putting up more cash. They sell their positions and driving prices even lower. So you've got a combination of all these things, people selling their preferred stocks and REITs and MLPs and even maybe lower-rated corporate bonds, and boom, everything starts going down. And then you get the momentum traders jumping on that, and they start selling. And that's what can happen, and that's how you get a day like October in 87. When the market dropped 22%, you get these flash crashes, and you get the stuff where we're now more dominated by these algorithmic trading systems. So I think you're going to be more and more subject to these dramatic swings, making discipline ever more important. For more on the ups and downs of the market, check out the blog in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com on the recent market volatility. Find out all the potential causes, get some historical perspective, and learn some actions you can take to control the things that you can control when it comes to stomaching risk at times of market volatility. Visit the blog in the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. For more specific help with your money questions, call Joe and Big Al at 888-994-6257. If it's a good question, the fellows may even answer it live on Your Money, Your Wealth. That's 888-994-6257. 888-994-6257. We're talking to Larry Swedro, our good friend Larry. Uh, Larry is uh, the director of research for BAM, uh, Buckingham. They manage billions of dollars, and it's always a pleasure to have Larry on the show. You've been doing this quite some time. I don't want to say <laughs> how long, but it's uh, 46 years. <laughs> but have you seen, I mean, I would say today there's probably more information in education when it comes to a prudent investment strategy than ever before. I mean, is that, Without is that, question. oh, okay, good. And so, but the behavior, do you think has changed at all? Yes, I think so, but in only a small percentage of the people still. So what we know is this. When I started in the business now uh, 24 years ago, 1% of all individual money was indexed. Today, that number is probably around 15% by individuals. The total of passive strategies is more than a third, it's approaching 40%, but that's because institutions, which are more aware of the academic research, 
have moved faster to passive strategies. So today we're, let's even be generous and say 20% of individuals are indexed, but that doesn't mean they're purely passive either, right? right? They could be indexing and then subject to panic selling, or they could be active traders selling an S&P 500 ETF to buy a small value or emerging market ETF, depending upon what their system is telling them or their analysis. So just because you're in index funds doesn't mean you're passive. So there's still, I would say, the vast majority of individuals are still active in some way, unlike your clients or our clients. You know, it's funny. I saw something when it comes to the uh, the SPY, how how much outflows happen over the last 10 days of that. It was a record. Yeah, and that's supposed to be an index type. You know, it's an index fund. It's the S&P 500 ETF. And so many people jumped out of that. So if you really have a disciplined strategy, then you probably shouldn't see that many <laughs> record and, outflows. In fact, you might have been a buyer because a 10% move might say, hey, I need to rebalance. You know, It's possible. Uh, or you had new cash. You're going to buy what went down, right? Um, where do you see us going from here? What are what, What's your crystal ball say? It's cloudy as always. <laughs> <laughs> it's... <laughs> Cloudy and meatballs is the movie. You know, I, here's what I think is really important for today's investors. And again, you could find an article I wrote recently on ETF.com called uh, The Four Horsemen in the Portfolio. You know, unfortunately, there's, uh, if you're planning on retirement or a younger investor today even, you know, the, the situation for you is a lot worse than it was say, for me, when I was beginning in my investment career and actually had enough income and it paid off student loans and all that stuff. So I was born in 51. So it wasn't until around 1980 or so I started to be able to invest some serious money. And at that point, stock prices were very low. We had PEs in the single digits. Bond yields were very high. And so you had very high expected returns uh, from both stocks and bonds. And in fact, uh, I, I think you might even be surprised, Joe. What would you guess a 60-40 portfolio generated from 1982 through 2017? Wow. On an average annual basis? No, the compound return over the period. Uh, a lot. I, I, I couldn't even begin to guess. Well, you know, most people would say, you know, you think stocks got 10. and Yeah, I would say a 6 or 7% annualized rate of return. Uh, and maybe, you know, the bonds were high yield, so you got a little more. The compound return of a 60-40 portfolio was 10.5%. 10.5%. And today, most financial economists would say that the expected return to a U.S. market-like equity portfolio is in the 6 or 7% range. And bonds are clearly in the 2%, 25 range. So you're talking a 60-40 portfolio, maybe 5%. Right. And so that's a real problem for people and the, all these pension plans that were planning on 7 or 8. Uh, you know, I don't know how you get there uh, based upon any reasonable forecast. And compounding that problem are three other things. The first is when I was growing up, I knew very few people who were many years older than when they could take Social Security at 65. You know, maybe you saw a few people in their 70s, but that was pretty rare to go much beyond that. 
Well, today, my generation, if you're a 65-year-old couple, the second to die life expectancy is 25 years. Right. So you, and that's average. So we tell people at 65, if you're a normal, healthy couple and got good genes, you've got to plan 30 years. No one would have thought anything like that. So you, you're faced with lower expected stock returns, lower expected bond returns, and you have to make the money last quite a bit longer. And to add that, we have very serious problem with Alzheimer's with because every five years, the odds of getting Alzheimer's doubles once you pass 65. So the time you're in your 80s, it's like almost 50%, and two out of three of them are going to be women. Most people are under, unaware of that, and they tend to live longer. And we know how costly it could be. Uh, to deal with that. So people, you know, looking at things like long-term care insurance and having enough assets. And then you add on top of that, in about 15 years, the Social Security system will be unable to fully fund its obligations. Now, most people think Social Security is going to go bankrupt. That's not true. They, But they would, at that point, have to cut their benefits to 75% of what people were expecting, or they have to raise taxes or do other things, which is a certainty, but none of our government officials have the coverage uh, to deal with it. So you've got all these problems, and I think people just aren't saving enough and are way too optimistic in their returns assumptions, and we as advisors need to do a good job in educating them about these risks. Yeah, without question. And I think there's you're you're looking at also let's say if you have a sixty forty portfolio that's generating five to six percent rate of return, you're also assuming Larry that they're going to be fully invested throughout yeah. that time period, right? And yeah, how many exactly. people got out of the market just in the last ten days? Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, and you know you have to hope, of course, that the day you retire, the markets don't crash because you start withdrawing and that money can't recover. That's why it's important. We think today, while the old rule was sort of if you maintained a reasonably balanced equity bond portfolio, you could withdraw 4% a year from your portfolio, adjust it for inflation. So the next year you take, if inflation was 3%, you take 3% more money out, that you'd have a very low odds, non-zero, but very low, maybe 5% chance of outliving your assets. Today, uh, because the expected returns are much lower, we think that number is 3%. Uh, so if you had a million-dollar portfolio and we're planning on being able to withdraw 40000 a year and then adjust it for inflation today, you should only plan on three at least at age 65. So that's a 25% reduction in your spending power, you know, uh, to keep your pr- spending prudent. Uh, so that's another uh, problem, you know, that results from the fact that we had spectacular returns, but that drove valuations way up and bond yields way down. And, you know, it's insane to uh, believe you're going to earn, you know, 6% on bonds like we used to earn when the yield today is 2 or 2.5. Right. 
Making a note of that, withdraw only 3% in retirement at age 65. Okay, so now what about the rest? As we just heard from Larry, market volatility can really put a dent in your retirement plans. Is there anything you can do to prepare as you approach retirement? Visit the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download our retirement readiness guide. It won't cost you a dime, and you'll learn little-known secrets about controlling your taxes in retirement and preparing for increased longevity, rising health care costs, social security uncertainty, and market volatility. Download the Retirement Readiness Guide from the white paper section of the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. They're trying to creep up interest rates, and I think people get a, a little bit afraid of that. But, I mean, higher interest rates isn't necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, a great question, Joe. It leads to a good discussion. So, first of all, higher rates, you have to break it down into what is the source of higher rates. If it's economic demand from a strong economy, you know, the GNP is growing, businesses are borrowing to expand, workers' wages are going up, they want to buy more goods, that's actually good while because while the denominator, that rate that we're going to discount those future earnings is going up, so that means the present value of that stream would otherwise be going down, the numerator is also going up, and they offset each other. However, if the numerator is not going up, and it's the Federal Reserve that's raising interest rates because inflation is going up and it needs to tighten monetary policy to prevent the economy from overheating and a repeat of the 1970s. Now you get two things happening. Rates going up, so the, you know, the rate you discount your earnings are going up. That lowers stock prices. Second thing is people start looking forward and saying, well, the Fed's tightening, the economy's going to slow corporate earnings will go down, the numerator is falling, and then it gets worse because people say, well, that creates more risk. I'm going to raise the risk premium above that treasury rate, that safe rate that we start with. And that's how you get big, bad, bear markets that can cause stocks to drop sharply. So that's the scenario that you want to worry about. Uh, I actually am writing a piece today I'm going to try and get it posted on Monday, saying if you want something to worry about, here it is. And that this is the scenario. Economic growth is strong. Wages are rising. But the Federal Reserve is concerned about rising inflation. They start to tighten. Inflation does pick up at over here. And then the Fed does actually have to tighten hard and boom, stocks go down. And here's the problem. All those people who went out of their safe bonds into those higher-yielding stuff, their stomachs are going to be screaming. They're going to be dumping assets for sure. All these, quote, safe assets, low-volatility stocks, MLPs, REITs, uh, junk bonds, emerging market bonds, they're going to come crashing down in that environment. Now, I don't predict that. Uh, My crystal ball is cloudy, but people should be prepared for that as a possible scenario, and their portfolio should be able to withstand it, which means you shouldn't have made that trade in the first place. And if you did, you better unwind it because that could happen. That's a reasonable scenario that some people, some gurus are forecasting. I don't put any weight behind it, you know, but it's certainly something I think could happen. When you look at 10,000 baby boomers, right, turning 65 daily for the next, I don't know, 12, 13 years, 
And the, the, the dividend-paying stocks, the MLPs, the REITs, of trying to get a higher yield because they couldn't find it in the bonds. Um, and we've talked about this in the past, but you know this, this whole notion of going with a high dividend-paying stock strategy, and that's their sole strategy, is a safe way to create income because the yields are high and they're getting the income that they need. And they, and they have no clue of the risk that they're actually taking because I think they assume that the dividend is, is like a coupon payment on a bond. And well, it, it works are, nothing like that. Well, there are two problems with that. First of all, companies can cut dividends. Uh, you've seen that happen quite a bit. In 2008, it certainly happened. Uh, but the second thing is investors demand a bigger risk premium. Now, a high-dividend stock may give you a little bit of safety protection uh, in a bear market, but they tend to be a little bit lower volatility. Uh, but, you know, uh, and the market went down 40%, so maybe they went down 30 or 32%. That's <laughs> still a huge <laughs> drop when your clients in the safe bonds you had them invested in, they were going up 8 or 10%. So that's a real problem. Vanguard's high-yield fund that year went down something on the order of like 23 or 25%. And that certainly wasn't safe, you know, uh, and that's what can happen. So we advise strongly that people should avoid those kinds of uh, assets. What, what's your feeling in last take here? I know you're busy, but I, I wanted to get your opinion on uh, target date funds. What, what, what's your thought with those? There's a lot of people that that's their, their sole investment strategy. Hey, I'm retiring in 2030, 2025, and I'm just going to you know, invest in that particular fund. Yeah, so one, I could think of worse things for people, but there are clearly some negatives that people should be aware of. First of all, if you look at 10 different target date funds for the same year, they'll have 10 different asset allocations. So some will have a higher equity, some will have higher international uh, allocation in their equities, some will own junk bonds, and etc. So just because it's a particular date that you're retiring on doesn't mean it's going to be an appropriate fund for you. The second problem it has to do what's called the asset location problem, which is if you have a choice and you have both a taxable account and your IRA, most people actually get this backwards. We want to hold our equities, having a preference to hold them in our taxable account and our bonds in our tax advantage account, like our IRA or 401k. And if you've got a target date fund, you've got both stocks and bonds in that same account, which means you're having an asset location mistake for one of the two. Yeah, most definitely. And so I, that's a, uh, but I will say this. For many people, if that's their sole investment and their asset allocation of that fund is reasonable, and you want to make sure they're using low-cost funds like a Vanguard index fund, not a high-cost active fund, the benefit of those target day funds is they are more likely to keep people disciplined. They will be automatically rebalancing for you, so you don't have to have the courage to buy in a bear market. The fund is doing it for you, and hopefully you will avoid hitting the panic button. People tend to actually, the data shows, people when they have two accounts, their 401k and their taxable, where they, they are much more likely 
to panic and they're taxable and leave the 401k alone. Right. It's an interesting phenomenon. You know, and I think I, I see that as well is because the 401k, we've been taught for years to defer, 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 right? Don't touch right. that money until you absolutely need it. And then when I have money outside of retirement accounts, well, we, we've been used to spending money in our checking accounts our whole lives. Right. But it's looking at when you're looking at a retirement strategy or a retirement income strategy, when you overlay the tax implications on the income, it's like money is money. Right? It doesn't matter if it's in an IRA or or, or non. You, you just want to look at the tax implications of it and make sure that it's invested appropriately based right. on what your goals are. Right. You know, another thing with target date funds is that I see, and you probably see this too, Larry, is that you'll see someone with like four or five different target date funds. Yes. <laughs> it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> if you're going to use a target date fund, folks, you just pick the one and put all of your assets in it. That's what it's for. But I never rarely see that. I'll yeah, see. You uh, know. That happens. Yeah, people don't understand. That's unfortunate. But I don't blame them. I blame the education system for failing to provide them with an education sufficient so they could make an intelligent decision or an informed decision. Oh, Larry, thanks so much. It's been a while. Um, all the articles that uh, Larry referred to, we'll definitely put uh, them on our website so we can uh, get you linked and in, in, in follow Larry. He's uh, one of a kind, and I really appreciate your time. Yeah, watch for that one on, I think, hopefully it'll be up on Monday. Uh, and uh, I never know what the editors at ETF.com will change the title to, but my title is if you want something to worry about. <laughs> That's Larry Swedro, folks. Southern California, getting the tools and confidence you need to make informed retirement decisions so maybe you've got a little less to worry about. It requires a little more than listening to Your Money, Your Wealth. There are plenty of opportunities for you to learn from our team in person at our two-day retirement courses or at our free monthly Lunch and Learn events. All of our classes are designed to give you the information you need to help you plan the retirement you've always dreamed of in spite of market volatility. For dates, times, and locations for our Lunch and Learn events and our retirement classes in San Diego, Orange County, or Los Angeles, just visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com or call 888-994-6257. Time now for Big Al's List. Every week, Big Al Clopine scours the media to find the best tips, do's and don'ts, mistakes, myths, and advice to improve your overall financial picture in handy bullet point format. This week, five questions to ask your estate planner after the new tax law. So it's time to dust off that trust document and go to your tax attorney, and, or I should say estate planning attorney. And here's the first question you, ask, you should ask is, will the new federal law affect my estate tax picture? And for many folks, the answer is yes, because the exemption amount was doubled. So in 2017, it was, you, could, you could pass away with $5.6 million of assets Anything above that would be taxed at 40%. Now that's doubled to $11.2 million per person. So it, it basically means that a lot of you know, wealthy families are not going to be paying estate taxes be, with, this, with this doubling up. Right. I mean, when um, I got into the business, it was about six hundred and. Eighty thousand, six seventy-five. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was six hundred when I got into the business. That was the exemption amount, and, right. and yeah, it was six seventy-five for a while. Yeah, and so a lot of people were subject to the estate tax, right? At and that so point. people were doing a lot of crazy things. They were setting up living trusts with the AB provision to try to ABC Q-tips, yeah, and... double up, triple up on 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 the exemption. 
And then uh, remember, it was I think it was George Bush, uh, George W. that brought it up to a million dollars. And then and it was then it gradually zero. Went up. Yeah, two thousand eleven. Eleven or ten. Uh, eleven, I believe. Maybe it was ten. Well, I think whenever was, George Steinbrenner died, I think it was. When... I think it was ten actually, because in two thousand no, it was eleven. Because in two thousand one, I think it went to a million dollars, and then it gradually went up to three and a half million in two thousand nine and ten. Now, well, th- yeah, they were due to ex- yeah something like that. I, anyway, I, anyway, but now it, uh, under Obama, it went up to five million per person, which has been indexed for inflation. So we were basically at 5.6 million, and now that's doubled to 11.2 million per person. So why this is important is you may completely want to change your asset transfer strategy. For example, if you're gifting assets to the kids right now, you might want to kind of pull back on that because anything you gift to your kids or grandkids, whatever you paid for this asset, they take over that same basis. So if you have a $100,000 stock that you bought for $10,000, if you gift it to them, yes, you get it out of your estate, and there's ways to do that, but now there's a $90,000 gain, and your kids, grandkids, when they sell it, they're going to have to pay that tax. Now, if you were to pass away and they inherit it, there's a full step up in basis. So where you might want to been doing a lot of gifting before so that you keep your estate below 5.6 million. Now you might want to do just the opposite, not gift it so that your kids, grandkids will get a step up in basis. Right. So there's, depending on the size of your estate, you either want to be gifting or not gifting. Right. Second question is, does the what does the ta- new tax law mean uh, by the exemption limit for married couples? And this is a really important one. I think a lot of people have no idea about this. So I said it was $11.2 million exemption per person, but it's not automatic. So here's the way it works is, is when, the, when the first spouse passes away, the surviving spouse needs to file Form 706 within nine months after the passing of the, of the, of the deceased. It's a death tax return. It's a death tax return, and you don't have to pay any tax, but what you do is you establish the values of assets and that first spouse Get basically gets the eleven point two million, and it preserves the eleven point two million for the second spouse when they pass away. Portability. Portability is what's it, what it's called, and it's not automatic. You have to take action. Interestingly enough, the uh, so many people missed this deadline because they had no idea about this stuff, and so the IRS has now made it easier to correct it after the fact. But now that you know the facts, just do it properly, which is file an estate tax return form form 706 within nine months after passing of the first spouse. Number three, will the new federal law affect my state estate tax? State estate tax. (laughs) I've already lost you, Joe. There are 15, get this, Joe, because we don't have this in California anymore. There are 15 states that have some form of estate tax. Your old hometown, Minnesota is one of them. Iowa, Nebraska, Washington, Oregon, Kentucky, Tennessee, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, Connecticut, Delaware, Maryland, and the District of Columbia. All of those states and the District of Columbia have a a state tax, meaning that you you may... 
You may get out of paying federal estate tax if your assets are below that $11.2 million, but you may have to pay an estate tax to the state. And I was actually just looking at Oregon recently. It's relatively low. I might be off, but I think it's like a million dollars, give or take, is the limit. Anything above that is you have to pay an estate tax to Oregon. Because, um, And I checked it out because we had a client that was thinking of moving to Oregon, and they decided not to because of the <laughs> estate tax hmm. issue. So just just be aware of that. You, we got a lot of. Uh, I mean, this is good news for federal, but it may not affect your state that you live in. The fourth thing is: Are my estate documents customized to fulfill my wishes and avoid unintended consequences? Well, that's something that you should be probably reviewing every five years anyway, because laws change, your goals change, your favorite cousin is no longer your favorite cousin, but they're getting all your assets or however you were originally set Why it up. would your favorite cousin get all your assets? Because that's, that sounds like Jerry Lee Lewis. Because <laughs> it's, it's your favorite cousin. <laughs> that's a little bit too close there. But but also kind of more mundane things like you may have you may have things in there for certain monies to take care of your ailing parents and maybe they're no longer here. I mean there there's things that you have to review from time to time. Yes you do. Fifth, number five. Thank God. Is <laughs> This is uh, pretty boring, isn't it? This is this must man. have been this must have been written this, by. This is gonna kill me. Oh, how <laughs> I think we were talking about estate planning. How soon? <laughs> well, it's it's everyone's least favorite topic, even mine. But it's important. <laughs> how soon should I come in for another review of my estate plan? I would come in now. The law has changed. Check it out because you probably have an AB provision that automatically funds the B trust. You don't want that to happen. There's portability. You can just do a simple trust. I would highly recommend everyone go see an attorney. Right. And the the AB provision. So people did that. So they doubled up on their exemption. No, they and, don't need to. And when you put when you do that, then the, the there's a step up in value at the date of the first spouse passing. But then that locks, locks in that value when the second spouse passes, the step up is only on what's left, not the whole thing. Now, in some cases, you still want the AB provision if you have mixed families and things like that. So I'm not saying it's, it's, you shouldn't have it, but I would say, I would say, I think I could say this, Joe, the majority of, of older trusts out there have AB provisions and the majority of, of people that have them probably don't really want them anymore. Yeah. And that's it for us. For Big Al Quilpine, I'm Joe Anderson. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. We'll see you next week. So, did you still want to leave everything to your favorite cousin there, Jerry Lee? If not, visit the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com to download the free estate plan organizer. Make your plans and wishes known on the most boring, least favorite topic there is and get it out of the way for a few years by putting it all in the estate plan organizer. Download it free from the Learning Center at yourmoneyyourwealth.com. Special thanks to our guest, Larry Swedrow. Learn more at the Index Investors Corner at ET. Com. Subscribe to the podcast at yourmoneyyourwealth.com through your favorite podcatcher or on iTunes, where you can also check out our ratings and reviews. And remember, if you've got a burning money question for Joe and Big Al to answer live on Your Money, Your Wealth, just email info at purefinancial.com or call 888-994-6257. Listen next week for more Your Money, Your Wealth presented by Pure Financial Advisors. For your free financial assessment, visit purefinancial.com. 
Pure Financial Advisors is a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full and informed investment decision. 